This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. trust in God in not some of the things, but all things. All things. The next thing we're to pursue is love. And the love here is the agape love. Agape is an unconditional sacrificial love. And a sacrificial love it is to consider others and forsake yourself. It is to love and to seek and to give and not to gain. Unconditional love. It's not I love you because or if or maybe or when. It's I love you, period. We throw the word love around very loosely, the same way nobody takes their marriage vows seriously. We think it's all conditional, because we are conditional people. But today, Pastor Eddie reminds us that love, at its core, isn't conditional at all. We have a God who is love. He loves us despite our flaws and despite our bad attitudes. He doesn't love us only when we're agreeable or obedient or patient with others, but always. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Good Confession and Fighting the Good Fight. The closing of Paul's first letter to Timothy in chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 11 through 21. And so let us read the passage before us in verses 11 through 21. Paul writes in verse 11, he says this, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot blameless unto our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and the only potate, the king of kings and lord of lords, who also has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation from the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it. Some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. 
We now come to verses 11 to 21 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul, again, he's closing his letter. He's giving Timothy his final instructions to Timothy as a pastor, but also 1 Timothy is a letter for pastors, elders, deacons, and also the church, all of us. But we see that all that Paul has encouraged Timothy, it's also applicable for us as believers in Jesus Christ. But it's expected and it's required for a leader in the house of God. And so we're going to break this down. In verses 11 through 16, verses 11 through 16, Paul commands Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. And in verses 17 through 19, Paul commands the, those who are wealthy in the church to, you know, he's going to give a commandment. And believe it or not, there are wealthy people in church. In verses 20 to 21, Paul will end his letter with a warning to guard the faith. Well, we read our text. Let us now study it verse by verse. Let's look at verse 11. Verse 11, Paul begins by saying, But you, O man of God. But you, O man of God. Paul now turns his attention directly to Pastor Timothy. Timothy is a young man. He's a young pastor in the church. He's now addressing him directly. He said, But you, but you, Timothy, but you, in contrast to what he has spoken back in verses 3 through 5. In verses 3 to 5, uh, he's addressing the false teachers, you remember. Now, but you, you're not a false teacher, but you, Timothy, O man of God. Now, the title is interesting, man of God. It was often used, that title was used in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was used, as a matter of fact, 76 times, man of God. Man of God, pointing to the prophets or those who had godlike behavior. So, man of God is mentioned 76 times, uh, including to describe a great man of God like Moses, Elijah, and also Samuel, just to name a few. They were called man of God. Now, there is an opposite of a man of God we find in the scriptures. And that is the man of sin. The man of sin. You've heard. Who's the man of sin? The Antichrist. We see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. That's speaking of a time after the rapture of the church, when the church is no longer here, the great tribulation, the judgment of God begins and the Antichrist will be revealed. He's called the man of sin. And so, again, although this letter is addressed to leaders and pastors, elders, and a pastor like Timothy, and for pastors today, it is applicable for us. And I know that even though Paul mentions man of God here, you find it, it's only mentioned twice in the New Testament. Man of God is only mentioned twice, 76 times in the Old Testament, twice in the New Testament here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. And the second time, he uses the title man of God a little bit freely. It's not only speaking to a man, speaking of a you know, man, but it's speaking men, humanity in general. How do we know that? Well, when the second time that it appears the title is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. And this is what Paul wrote. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that here it is, the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we know this is used freely because this applies to every single one of us. We depend on the scriptures of God, and we believe that is inspired by God, written by man, but we know is inspired by God. How do we know that? Well, because the Bible, it complements each other. All the, the 66 books and 40 authors, many of them never met each other, uh, written by, by shepherds, kings, and prophets, and they're consistent in the word of God. The word of God is without error. This is how we know it's inspired. We believe that. You believe that. That is why you're here. And so, saints, we are all called to be godly people with God-like character, to be Christ-like. And so we are all called to be a man and a woman of God. We're getting far, aren't we? We're still in verse 11. But you, O man of God, he says, flee these things. Flee from what, Paul? Flee from the false teachers, the false teachers and their false doctrines. He spoke that back in verses 3 to 5. False teachers who are lovers of money, teaching godliness is the means of gain. That is opposite of what God teaches. And so Paul said at the end of verse 5, from such withdraw yourself. Here he says, flee from these things. So he says, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue. You're going to run for something. I want you to flee from false prophets. Flee from false teachers. Flee from false doctrine. But I want you to pursue these things. And Paul's going to list six virtues. Six things we are to pursue. And that applies for every single one of us. Number one, pursue righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, it's not speaking of your righteousness. Because the scripture says there's none who is righteous. And that's in Romans chapter 3 verse 10. Where Paul writes, it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. No one is righteous. But when we come to Christ, when we come to Jesus Christ, he closes that person with his righteousness. So every one of us, positionally, we are righteous. But you look at each other and you say, this person is not righteous. No, practically we're not. But, you know, when we accept Christ as Lord, a person, and Savior, you're considered complete in Christ. Again, positionally, because who you are in Christ, because of Christ, practically, Okay, you're working to be complete by the Holy Spirit. We're being renewed day by day, the scripture tells us. And so you and I, when we came to Christ, he clothed us with righteousness. Look what the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah said in, six, in chapter 61, verse 10, he says, For he has clothed, speaking of Christ, he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That is what God does when we come to him. When we come to him, you may say, well, I'm a mess. Yes, so am I. No one is righteous. No, not one. Scripture says our righteousness is as filthy rags. Even the best that you can do is considered filthy rags. But because of who we are in Christ, righteous. But here is not talking about that righteousness, the righteousness that's imputed into us at salvation. It is talking about holy life, to live a holy life. Be righteous. In other words, the man and woman of God is known for doing what is right, biblically right. So the man of God and the woman of God are to pursue righteousness, number one. Second thing we are to pursue is godliness. While righteousness looks at the outward behavior, 
You know, we could see someone of their being righteous, if you will. We don't know their heart. Only God knows their heart. But technically, we do know their heart because the Bible says the heart is corrupt. Who can know it? You know, people say, well, you don't know my heart. I know your heart. It's just like my heart. It's corrupt. Who can know it? Yes, we have Christ, but it's being renewed day by day. The heart is wicked. That's why, you know, the, Jesus says that the, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. And it's something we need to work at every day. Righteousness deals with the outward behavior, while godliness deals with the inward, the attitude, the motives. You see, God knows the motives. God knows the motive of everyone's heart. Yeah, I may not know, according to scriptures, yes, your heart is corrupted, but I don't know your motives. We don't know each other's motives. That's why we need to be careful not to judge. That's why Jesus said, hey, you know, before you judge, take that speck, that telephone pole out of your eye, before you judge someone else. Okay, and it's a judgment, of, you know, speaking of judgment of fruit, you know, people, there is a judgment, which is a righteous judgment. So people say, oh, you shouldn't judge. No, there is a judgment unto righteousness. It's a righteous judgment. But don't judge in the sense of condemning that person, that what, judging them by what they did, they're going to hell for that. That is a bad judge. Judgment unto condemnation is what Jesus is talking about. And we need to realize that when we start judging, you know, that, hey, the, the stones are going to drop. He's going to ask everyone, as he did the Pharisees back then, when the woman that was brought before him, he without sin cast the first stone. See, sin looks okay when you do it. It doesn't look good when somebody else does it. We need to be careful. So the motives, but we need to be godly. The godly motives we should have in the heart. So a man and woman of God are to pursue righteousness and godliness. And the third thing they are to uh, pursue is faith. Faith, and it's, it's speaking of us being faithful, faithful, and having faith in God, trusting in Him in everything. It sets an example to the world because quite often you could easily encourage somebody, you know, you need to have faith. How many times we needed to have faith? It's, we need to pursue faith. We need to trust in God in not some of the things, but all things. All things. The next thing we're to pursue is love. And the love here is the agape love. Agape is the unconditional sacrificial love. And a sacrificial love is to consider others and forsake yourself. It is to love and to seek and to give and not to gain. Unconditional love. It's not I love you because or if or maybe or when. It's I love you, period. That's unconditional love. And that's the love it's talking about here. It's not a like It's a love, unconditional love. The fifth thing we are to pursue is patience or perseverance, endurance. We need to pursue this in our walk with the Lord. Because how often we fall short, how often we fail, how often we grow cold. And we have no interest in the things of God anymore. We have no interest. Patience. That enables the man and woman of God to stay the course. Sticking to it when the going gets tough. No matter the cost, patience. And then six and finally, gentleness. Uh, another word for gentleness, if you're looking in the Greek, is, is really meekness. And meekness does not mean weakness. Moses was called uh, the meekest man on earth, but he was by far be weak. If he killed another Egyptian and to lead two and a half million people, I find it hard to lead 12 people. Two and a half million people, he's not a meek man. I mean, weak man. He is meek, but not weak. 
Meekness means power under control. Power under control. And so now, these virtues that we just read here, uh, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and, and, and gentleness, are, are really, they're not valued in the world. The world doesn't care about this. But they're valuable to God. Especially to the man and woman of God. If you consider yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, these are the things we ought to pursue. So it's not only for leaders. It's not only for pastors. For each and every one of us. Now in verse 12, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on the eternal life. Now, a man and a woman of God, we are to fight the good fight of faith. And Paul is not promoting violence here. He's not speaking of a physical fight. But obviously there's a spiritual fight. We forget that there is a fight spiritually. We forget that we need to build ourselves strong spiritually in order to be, be able to fight spiritually. That's a come quite often we lose because we're not seeking the Lord. We're not spending time in devotion. We're not spending time in his word and in prayer. So we get weak. He's not talking about a physical carnal fight, but a spiritual one. Now, the first word for fight, you see fight mentioned twice here, fight the good fight of faith. The first word for fight here is slightly different than the second. And the word here in the Greek is agonazomai. Agonazomai, and it means, we can almost say it in English, agonize. Agonize is to contend, to struggle with agony, difficulties, and danger. And that's the kind of fight we're to have spiritually, spiritually, okay? I don't want you to leave church and say, hey, Pastor already said we're to fight. (laughs) Many times, there are a lot of false teachers, cults, that would take the word of God out of context and not understanding what it's speaking of. I came across a man who, you know, I was introduced at a, at, a, at a neighbor's house, they had a little celebration for their family, for a family member, and he was supposed to be some kind of leader of a church. I don't know what kind of church, but he said, you're a pastor? Yeah. And he says, are you preparing your congregation? Oh, every day. I said, no, no, there's going to be a war. There's going to be a battle. And I said, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> and um, he said, yeah, I'm looking for property. And no. When the war comes, remind your people, it's not the first war, it's the second war. Be ready. And that's why I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm getting all my ammo and everything. I said, oh boy, here we go. Jesus said, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Even the battles and the wars that we find in Scripture, especially in the, Old, in the New Testament, talks about in the end times, we're not fighting. If you read your Bible Well, and you study Revelation, it says, and the armies of God clothed in white linen are coming in white horses, right? And, you know, I like what John Corson calls it. He says, the bride of Christ is the bride in combat boots. The church, we're coming with Christ, but we're not going to do a thing. We're just going to stand on a white horse looking pretty. And if you don't know how to ride a horse, that day you will, I promise you. And you're gonna, we're going to come in that battle. We, Christ is going to, just by his word, the very word that said light be, created light, created heaven, created the earth, is the very light that's going to destroy everything. He doesn't need our help. And so this battle here is a fight for the faith. It's a fight. It's a spiritual fight. And men and women of God, people of God, uh, we're going to go through some difficult times, and it's going to cause agony. It's going to cause uh, some kind of suffer, uh, pain and, and, and struggle. But we must fight the good fight of faith. It's a spiritual one. It's not a fleshly one. It's not a cardinal one. 
And this is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So saints, we're to fight. And what are we fighting for? We're fighting for the eternal. It's not for the temporal. We fight here on earth. It's for the things here on earth that would perish and fade away. When we fight, we fight for the eternal. We're fighting uh, because we're focusing on heaven. We're heavenly bounded. And so it's a spiritual fight. And that's what we ought to fight. Stay the course. Pursue the things that Paul said. Pursue righteousness, godliness, love, faith. Pursue these things. And there is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Good news is that when we do fight and we do have a battle, that God is fighting for us and he's fighting with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but mighty in God from pulling down strongholds. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, he says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors in Christ, but more than conquerors through who? Myself? No. Through the government's military? No. Through him, Jesus Christ, who loved us. We're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You remember when God called you. That's when you came to the cross and you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. When did he call you? In fact, the scripture said he called you from the foundation of the earth. Even before you were born, he called you. Even before you were, you were born, he called you from the foundation when he laid the foundation of the heaven and earth. And it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he, speaking of Christ, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. And when he called us, we, we came to the cross and we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. It is there that we made a confession. We made a good confession. And we did it before uh, the Lord, and most importantly. But then we had uh, family and friends who were with us. They were with us. And they witnessed us coming to Christ. So it's a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Verse 13, he said, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Before Pontius Pilate. You remember uh, the time when the Roman governor Pontius Pilate asked Jesus the question and we find that in John chapter 18 verse 37 and, and Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king then? The book of 1 Timothy is encouraging and inspiring. From one well-seasoned missionary to another, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, spurring a younger pastor on to great things. Isn't it great to live life in community with others so that you can mutually encourage others you're walking alongside? Even though Paul and Timothy weren't in the same area very often, these letters kept them united in the cause of Christ. We hope that you have this type of uniting with other believers. If you don't, we'd like you to know how to connect with us here. Go to our website at runningtheraceradio.com to learn more about the church that supports this ministry. At Calvary Chapel of Milford, we'd love to meet you this weekend and join with you in being part of a church family. 
Worshiping God and studying His Word together is something that should be done in community. To find out more, once again, our website is runningtheraceradio.com. We pray that Pastor Eddie's message on running the race has been helpful for you today. We'd like you to know that we pray for you regularly here at Running the Race, and we're so glad you're one of our listeners. If you'd like to hear this message again, you can find it at runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, feel free to listen to other messages from this series or download them to take with you on the go. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. That's all we have for today. But join us again for more as Pastor Eddie teaches from 1 Timothy on running the race.